Drink wide Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pat, we're here with you once again as we are inching closer to the NHL draft. And every, it seems like by the hour, there's little tidbits of news sort of trickling out. You got a little nugget yesterday, though, down at the rink. Uh, centered around the Canucks summer development camp. Yeah, I mean, this isn't earth-shattering stuff. I'm not even sure we should be leading with it. But yeah, I mean, it's Canuck pod. So I guess any Canuck information is uh, uh, worthy. No, just the fact that, you know, for years, the Canucks held their summer development camp at Rogers Arena. And it was part of, I think, introducing the players in the system to the rink that someday they may call home and they would skate and you know, look up at the banners of uh, Pavel Bure and Trevor Linden and the Sedins and those types of things. And then uh, there were a couple of years there where there wasn't a summer development camp because of the COVID. And then last year it was all out at UBC because uh, summer developer because Rogers Arena was essentially a construction zone. Well, guess what? The ice is not in Rogers Arena right now. And I know that there's pictures surfacing about uh, there's no scoreboard in there because the Canucks are going to replace the, the giant scoreboard high above center ice. But yeah, it sounds like summer development camp is going to be out at UBC for a second straight year. And the beauty of summer development camp is it's open to the public. At Rogers Arena, they can close the doors and you know run a, uh, a tight shop that way. But this is open to the public. And so uh, if people need their summer hockey fix, they haven't announced the dates yet. And they certainly haven't announced a roster uh, whoever they take with their uh, first round pick and maybe subsequent picks as well. Uh, you know, logistically, if they can make it, I would think that they would be involved. So uh, with the draft next Wednesday and Thursday, I believe that summer development camp is going to be the following week out at UBC. So they'll get through the free agent weekend and then uh, we'll see who's on the ice. Uh, but it will be out at UBC. And if people are looking to get their Canucks fix, uh, they can uh, sort of write that uh, into their day planner, if you will, uh, for uh, what are we just over a week away? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and this one's the, you get to see a few more players at this one as well, as opposed to the, the young stars in Penticton, right? Because of the season starting with college hockey, the Europeans they don't generally come here. So if you go, go to the Canucks Summer Development Camp, you might see some of the guys that you want to see, right? Uh, whether it's a, a college player or or a European player as well. So yeah, check that out if you can out at UBC this year. Yeah, no, you're right. It, like this last year was basically two full teams worth. Like they had a scrimmage at one point. And so, you know, I remember being out there last year and uh, Lekaramaki had just been drafted and he came and he was on the ice and first look at Nils Amon and Linus Carlson, Arthur Silovs took part and Aiden McDonough was there. And it was funny because I remember uh, being on with Scaris and Price and we were talking about like of the guys that are here you know, who's likely to be the first to play in the National Hockey League. And Nils Amon and Linus Carlson were sort of unknowns. We hadn't seen them over in North America. Uh, Aid McDonough, you know, we weren't sure if he was truly going to sign with the Canucks and go pro. But, I mean, as it turned out, McDonough, Silovs, uh, Amon all played in the National Hockey League this past season. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's conceivable. I think every year is a little bit different, but uh, it's conceivable that you're looking at guys that are going to, you know, get a sniff with the Vancouver Canucks at some point next season. Is it conceivable that the Canucks are going to move up in the draft, do you think? I know we batted it around a little bit yesterday, but... Uh... It's funny. I mean, the dust is still settling on Patrick Alvin. That seemed to be the big comment. Like, for me, I, I, you know, there wasn't anything absolutely earth-shattering. We went over what Patrick Alvin said, and, you know, I walked away from that thinking, okay, positive news on Tanner Pearson. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of other things in there, the EP40 being a top 10 or 15 player in the league. And again, we broke it all down. But the one that really seems to have captured people's attention was Patrick Alvin 
suggesting that he might look to move up in the draft as opposed to moving back. I mean, I think when all is said and done, they're going to use the 11th pick and, and get a pretty good player there. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny as we close now within a week of that first round, the idea of the Canucks moving up. And it's funny because when Alvin said that yesterday, like I had a couple of people come at me on social saying like, this would be the most Canuck thing ever to spend assets to move up in the draft after a season in which at one point they were the fifth worst team in the National Hockey League and, you know, had they managed and massaged their lineup properly down the stretch, they could have been a top five team. They could have had better chance in the lottery, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah, it's sort of beating the dead horse. But at the same time, this idea of like people want to believe that this management group is going to be focused and disciplined and do the right thing. And to come through the stretch run where, you know, they won more than they lost, they moved up uh, in the standings, and now you're talking about moving up in the draft order and paying a price to do it. Uh, Yeah, like on the surface, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I hear you, and we'll see what happens, though. I'm just wondering, though, at the top of the draft, we all know Bedard's going one, but now we're starting to hear rumblings that perhaps Anaheim might do something that others don't think they're going to do. They're pretty good down the middle, and there's talk that maybe Matt Vay-Mitchkoff might go second overall to Anaheim, so that might put the whole thing in flux at that point, and maybe a player drops, you know, to eight or nine or whatever, and maybe the Canucks like that player, so... And maybe it's a smokescreen by Alvin as well. Who knows, really? It's possible. I mean, he he said that there was a lot of inquiries about that 11th pick, and so, you know, he didn't tell officers that was teams behind them looking to move up, or... You know, teams in front of them that are, again, if there's a team at eight that thinks that they can still get the player they're looking for, but can, you know, harvest some assets uh, in a move like that, not off the board. Again, we spend a ton of time, I say we, the collective we in the hockey world, you know, we spend a ton of time going through all the possible scenarios. And of course, uh, we don't see many teams that hold top 10 picks move off of them uh, ahead of the draft. So, Again, like it's fun. It's what we do. A lot of speculation. It's that time of year. Uh, give us something to talk about because, let's be honest, you and I have uh, punched the clock on a daily basis here and, you know, toughed it out through May and early June when there wasn't a whole lot going on. So eh, let us have our fun. But if Mitchkoff was to go, like, serve it up. Like, I'm all for it. Like, that absolutely would throw a massive curveball uh, because I still think Columbus is really interesting at three, and I'm not sure that anybody truly knows what Jarmo Kekalainen is thinking, but all of a sudden, if he had the option between Fantilli and Leo Carlson, uh, you know, that would change the conversation for the Blue Jackets, and then the trickle-down is the rest of the first round. So, you know, there will there always, there's always a guy that drops. I mean, Shane Wright last year, everybody talked about him going first, and he had to wait until he was fourth. Uh, before Seattle jumped up and grabbed him. So there'll be somebody that uh, sees their draft stock drop a little bit on draft day. And then the question is, what does that mean to a team like the Canucks sitting in 11th? And look, the Canucks, we know that it's a a good draft. Canucks are going to get a good player. Uh, It's just a question of, you know, what do they do with their first first round pick? And and if they hold it at 11, um, you know, they're going to get a better player, obviously, than they do if they trade back and end up in, the mid-teens or lower than that. But uh, lots of options available. But yeah, I just didn't, you know, when when the question was floated to Patrick Alvin, I kind of thought he might just laugh it off of, you know, the idea of moving up in the draft. But, uh, you know, he was the one that mentioned it. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, 
who knows if it was, as you said, possibly a smokescreen. Whatever the case, uh, the beauty of it all is that uh, we're inside a week from finding out how it's all going to shake down on Wednesday night at Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. NHL insider uh, Frank Saravalli reporting there could be an exodus in Calgary. Oh, oh, man. And that's interesting when you think about it, because, of course, Pacific Division, Canucks, like, uh, what's going to happen there? Like, what's what, what sort of impact could that have on the Canucks? Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is, you're right, within the division, you know, it was Michael Backlund, it was Elias Lindholm, and Noah Hannafin. Like, imagine being Craig Conroy here, sitting there, and like, uh, I don't imagine that this is actually the way it played out, but I envision in my head, like, those three players, you know, walking up into his office, uh, Craig, can we talk to you for a sec? Yeah, guys, come on in, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) You excited about next season? Um, yeah, sort of. <laughs> and they look at each other and like, yeah, but um, anyways. Hearing though that hearing that Jacob Markstrom is is not on the table though, which is kind of interesting when you when you think about it. Well, right? also, I mean, it's interesting because and not that you'd move off Jacob Markstrom to make room for Dustin Wolf, but Dustin Wolf's been the American Hockey League goalie of the year the last, like last couple of seasons. You know, they think they've got a guy there. And so maybe gives them some flexibility. But but for the three players that Cerevelli was reporting have expressed this notion, either implied or have told the Flames that they don't plan on re-signing. Like that changes the calculus in a huge way. We know Brad Treloing was uh, forced into making the, the Matthew Kachuk deal. Well, Craig Conroy's first order of business, like all of a sudden his uh, plate got awfully full. So, you know, what does it mean that the Flames, who ousted Daryl Sutter, brought in Ryan Huska, it sounds like Ryan Huska may have a bunch of new faces and different names to to deal with in his first year as the head coach. So they may look different on the ice, but again, to me, the takeaway is, and I know Patrick Alvin addressed Elias Pettersson's situation and said when the time is right, they're going to sit down and talk, but, you know, this is another indication of players taking matters into their own hands, trying to dictate their future, uh, and I think it's instructive for the Vancouver Canucks to recognize that even if you think you've got, you know, Michael Macklin's been there forever. I mean, that guy's been a flame through and through. Elias Lindholm, uh, you know, he and Hannafin came together in that trade that sent Dougie Hamilton to, to Carolina, but just because you think a guy has been around for a while and is always going to you know, be a legacy player in Backlund's case, that's not necessarily the case. So uh, if you can, you know, and if you truly believe in your players, uh, try to get them locked up as uh, quickly as you can for as long as you can. And it's funny because like when I think, you know, uh, like the city of Calgary, you know, are there harsh winters? Sure, it's Alberta. But I think the city of Calgary has got a fair bit going for it. For the most part, I think players like living there but we know that the Saddle Dome is on its last legs and it's not a great facility. I don't know how much that plays into it ultimately, but, you know, it's just the fact that for whatever reason, and these guys would have their own reasons, uh, sounds like none of them want to commit long term. So, yeah, I mean, if last year was, you know, if last year was an eventful offseason for the Flames, uh, buckle up because this one, you know, I mean, it absolutely uh, reshaped that hockey club and... You know, I think there were a lot of people that thought the Flames were primed for a bounce back. That a lot of talent there, uh, the, the Daryl Sutter factor, maybe some guys had tuned him out, whatever the case. But, you know, it's, to sit here a week away from free agency, uh, not knowing what kind of... Those are three big pieces for the Flames. So, you know, like, you'd get good players in return, but absolutely would alter the composition of a roster in the Pacific Division. Yeah, you got to wonder what's going on in Calgary there. Like, they get rid of Daryl Sutter, and there's still guys that want to jump ship. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's a bit of a mess there in Calgary. And yeah, they were 
looking like they were going to be poised to be one of the teams to make it run at a cup last year clearly was not the case. And if you're Nazem Kadri, you're probably wondering what the hell would I sign up for here? But then he sees his paycheck on the first and the 15th and goes, Oh yeah, that, that that's why. Um, Dolly wall reporting. And we didn't, I wanted to get to this yesterday, but um, we, we didn't have time. I guess we have lots of time. It's a podcast, but anyway, <laughs> uh, you got somewhere to be. Yeah, not really. The, the beach, meter, maybe the, the meter running out. <laughs> It is nice out. I might head to the beach today. Uh, Troy Stetcher. Perhaps the Canucks could have interest in Troy from Richmond. I mean, you know, this is a guy we, it seems like most off seasons, his name's getting batted around here. But honestly, when you sort of look at it, he kind of does make sense to come back home. I got all the time in the world for Troy Stetcher. And so I preface it that way. I hear a big butt coming in here. Well, I just wonder when I think of Rick Talkett and his statement about wanting toughness. Good point. I, I just, you've already got Queen Hughes. Like how many undersized defensemen, you know, I, I know the name Sam Girard was being kicked around on Sakaris and Price. And I just think to myself, like Sam Girard's a good player. The guy's absolutely an NHLer. But if you're Rick Talkett and you've just watched Vegas win the Stanley Cup and everybody remarks about their, you know, big, strong defense, like how many undersized guys can you have Akito Hiroshi's not the biggest player in the world. Jack Rathbone's not the biggest player in the world. Uh, even Philip Peronik, you know, he's not 6'4", he's six feet. So I, I just wonder on that front alone, you know, does that rule a guy like Troy Stetcher out? And I, I don't know that it does necessarily. Is, what is he nowadays? Like, he's 29 years old. Is he a depth guy or? So that's the question. Like, you know, does Troy... You know, is he an everyday player in the National Hockey League still? I'm sure he believes that he is. Is he a depth guy that, you know, uh, you know what you've got, low maintenance, still friends? I mean, buddies with Brock Besser from their college days, but, you know, played with a handful of guys, even though there's been a fair bit of roster churn. You know, he was there in the playoff bubble. So anybody that, you know, JT Miller was in the playoff bubble and Tyler Myers was in the playoff bubble, uh, Elias Pettersson. You know, so right there, there's a, a friendship with guys that were on the roster that are still here. And Troy's just one of those guys that's always had to work, right? Like, uh, nothing's come easy to him because of, I think, his stature. And he's a guy that's proven that, you know, he can play. I don't know. Like, there's, to me, there's a little bit of the really like back to the future sort of thing that been there and done that, that, you know, I had the same concern with uh, Luke Shen. Like, you know, these teams weren't good enough when these guys were around the first time. So uh, is there value in sort of that comfort blanket of knowing a guy that, you know, you're familiar with? Or is it time for this management group to to branch out on its own? But ultimately, you know, if you believe that Troy Stetcher can help your hockey club, then yeah, like I, you know, I, there's probably a, a value deal there. I don't think he would break the bank in any way. And we know that uh, he loved playing for the Canucks the first time around and probably still would uh, here in his hometown. So, yeah, I mean, that, it's an interesting name for sure. Uh, I don't know that it's ultimately going to happen. And I just, I do wonder with Rick Tockett and the way that he wants to build out his roster, you know, how many undersized defensemen ultimately can you have uh, on a team that needs to to get better at that position. Yeah, he made 1.25 last year, which is probably roughly where he's going to come in around. But you're right. Like, could you see a, a pairing of Akito Hirose and, and Troy Stetcher on your third pair? Like, uh, that's that's a nightmare for Rick Tockett, I think, in, in terms of, you know, the, the type of player that he wants on the blue line. Carson Sosi is one of those guys. I know that we talked about him yesterday. I've been thinking about it a little bit more. I, I just don't see how that works for the Canucks. 
because it feels like he's going to be over $4 million and like four to five years in term. And it, it just, as much as he's the right player for them, I, I don't know if they can get into that sort of, uh, those sort of sweepstakes, if you will. Yeah. I don't know that he's going to get above 4 million. That seems high. I mean, it just takes one team to do something dumb, but you know, another year of the flat cap, like there'll be interest, but I, I want to believe that teams would all have their own sort of, you know, parameters that they're not prepared to move over. So, but it, he made three, five last year. Like, is he, or I mean, I got that. Sorry, that was, was total salary. salary. Yeah, yeah, he's 2.75. 2.75. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that's quite a bump to four, actually. I, I thought he was on 3.5 for an AAV, but it's actually, that was just his total salary last year. But all it takes is, but it just takes one, you know, again, teams, the copycat, and they see Vegas with these big, strong defensemen, and somebody thinks that, you know, oh, he was really good in the third pairing role in Seattle. Let's see if he's ready to be a second pairing, you know, top four guy. The one thing, you know, again, Quinn Hughes is going to play and play a ton on that left side. So if you earmark Quinn Hughes for 25 to 30 minutes, now you have to split the other 30 minutes of the game between your other two left side guys. Uh, you've got Hughes, you've got Hironic. They're going to get power play time. You're not looking for anybody to play the power play. You're not looking for anybody to come in and you know, do a ton offensively, you want a stable partner, probably for a guy like Philip Ronick. And then, you know, the penalty killing is the key to me. The penalty kill has to get better. It can't get worse. We know that. But I would like to see them, you know, identify that. I think they, I, I think they recognize it as a priority. So whether it's whoever they bring in as a third line center, if they go shopping in unrestricted free agency, they've got to get a defenseman that could be a big part, like probably, you know, first guy over the boards when it comes to killing penalties. And hopefully it's not a guy that takes a ton of penalties. That's one of the knocks. I know that people in Seattle have said, like, a few too many penalties uh, on the part of Carson Soucy. Uh, you can't help the penalty kill if you're the guy that's in the penalty box. Canucks have seen that with uh, Tyler Myers and, you know, to a lesser degree, OEL, but Alex Edler at the end of his time here as well. So you don't want a penalty machine. You want a penalty killing machine and again i don't know that carson Susi is the guy but i yeah i, I don't think I, i'd be shocked if he's in this climate if he's able to get something that starts with a four in terms of his aav yeah i think you're right i think you're right as well i i was look i thought he was at a three five you know he's 28 years old and he's really never been more than the third pairing guy and that i think you have to take that into consideration as well like you know has he just found his his level? Like, and there's nothing wrong. You can have a long career being one of the best third pairing guys in the National Hockey League, but in Minnesota and then in Seattle, you know, he kind of has always been who he has been here. And you wonder, like, you know, did those teams not see enough in him to move him higher in their lineup? Or, you know, were they happy with the guys that they had ahead of him and he was happy slotted where he was? Whatever the case, he's been a really good third-pairing guy. The numbers bear it out uh, in Minnesota. The two full years he played in Minnesota, like the, the Wild outscored their opponents by a ton uh, at even strength when he was on the ice. And, you know, the first year, an expansion Seattle team, he held his own. It was basically a push. But then this past season, again, I think it was a plus 15 in terms of uh, even strength goal differential uh, when he was out there on the ice and then in the playoffs. And, and remember, Seattle played uh, Colorado, upset Colorado, and then lost in seven to Dallas. So 14 games against two really good teams. And he was on a pair with Justin Schultz, the third pair for the Kraken. And I think they held a 10-4 edge in even strength goals uh, as a duo. So, again, he comes out on the right side. Like, the underlying numbers, uh, hits and 
block shots and, you know, some of those things that the Canucks do need. And that's why yeah, I've drawn to him, but I'm not like locked on him just because, uh, again, I think if the Canucks do get in and they make inquiries on July 1st and they find out that, he, you know, the, the price is creeping up into the high threes, then you say, thanks, we had interest, but we got to go elsewhere. Speaking of Dolly Wall, him and Drance have a piece up on uh, The Athletic right now with uh, some targets that the Canucks might be looking at. And the name Ivan Barbashev is in there. Now, Barbashev, more of a winger than he is a center, but he can play down the middle as well. Canucks going to be going... Is that where I don't they think should they're be shopping be right now? First, I mean, I mean he's, I, he's a Milstein client, yeah. so automatically you have to link him to the Vancouver Canucks uh, assistant general manager, Dan Milstein. But uh, I, I think coming off the playoff run that he had... You know, he's going to be in that bin that the Canucks just, they're going to have to walk past. And, you know, you can peer into it, I suppose, uh, jealously, knowing that you can't shop there. But, uh, no, I mean, look, the guy's, uh, he plays hard. You know, there's an element of toughness in his game, not dropping the gloves toughness, but just hard to play against. Uh, but he's got offense. Like, yeah, I mean, like, I liked what I saw from him. Uh, and it was a good pickup for Vegas, obviously. But I just think on the open market, uh, that that one's going to be out of the Canucks' reach. So um, they have to walk past the bin that includes uh, Barbashev. Uh, there's value bins elsewhere, and that's where they're going to have to be shopping. Is Ryan O'Reilly in that bin with Barbashev as well? Because uh, Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts said, hey, you know, just wondering out loud if the Canucks might be interested in someone like Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, and like when Elliot floats that, you have to think, like, he's not just pulling out of thin air. So, you know, with somebody in his ear... Um, it, it, it on the surface, like you know, Ryan O'Reilly, this team needs penalty killing, can use leadership, uh, all those types of things. Yeah, I mean, third line center Ryan O'Reilly on the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, I think Ryan O'Reilly is probably going to be able to command, you know, a fair bit. Maybe his last big contract here. So I know that you know, he was decent for Toronto down the stretch, and then you know he got hurt in Vancouver. Uh, had the hand injury, but I mean, you tell me. Like, I think he was pretty good against Tampa, and then nobody, nobody was good against uh, Florida. Nobody, so, no. I don't think the Leafs even showed up in that series. Yeah, like you know, the intangibles, the Stanley Cup, uh, all that faceoffs, all those types of things. Um, but I just, yeah, like I don't see a way that feels like the Canucks would have to spend every dollar that they've got essentially in free agency, and he's going to want some term. And the other thing too is, you know, in a fast league. Skating has never been his strong suit, right? Like, I think he's been a smart player positionally, uh, competes and plays hard, but in an up-and-down league that's getting faster, and as he gets older, you know, do you want to commit term to that kind of player? And, you know, those would be my questions around, you know, how prudent it would be for the Canucks to be kicking tires seriously on a player like Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, and he's coming off a contract where he was making $7.5 So even if you're coming down from that, minimums $5 million probably? I don't even know if you could get him at that. And, and he's also the best center available in free agency. So someone's going to overpay. It won't be the Canucks. That Tanner Pearson news we got yesterday was interesting, and I know we talked about it on the pod uh, yesterday. But, you know, if he is back, you know, does that complicate matters for the Canucks? Yes. <laughs> In a word, yeah. I mean, look, with three months before training camp, uh, first and foremost, this is just about a guy getting his health back, A, to be a father and a husband and a human being, and then to be a hockey player. So it was encouraging news at the very least. But I think I had put him and Tucker Pullman, you know, kind of bundled them up as long-term injury candidates. And we're talking about Canucks and how much money they're going to have to spend here in free agency. 
uh, you know, does that complicate matters for Patrick Alvin? Like if it's touch and go for Tanner Pearson, if he's a player, like all of a sudden on September 1st, if he gets the clearance, uh, you got to account for, you know, what's left of the final year of his contract at uh, 3.25 million bucks. And it's more cash than that because that was one of those COVID contracts as well that they back end loaded. So Pearson, the cap, it's three and a quarter, but I think he's actually at four and a quarter in real money owed uh, this year. So, you know, like today, the story and yesterday, it's about a little bit of positivity around Tanner Pearson. But yeah, make no mistake, like in a salary cap world where you're feeling the pinch and every dollar matters, uh, I would imagine that the Canucks should sort of earmark Tanner Pearson as an LTIR candidate. And all of a sudden, like that's another 3.25 mil. And I, you know, I would say untouchable on the trade market. Like I just can't imagine that if he gets a clean bill of health, that there'd be another team that would say, yeah, he hasn't played a game, uh, but we want to make a trade for him. If now, like, let's play the scenario out. If he's fully healthy and comes back and competes and all that kind of stuff and shows that he can still play, you know, as a trade deadline piece, that's a different story because he would have had half a season under him, guy with a Stanley Cup and playoff pedigree and big body and all that kind of stuff. You know, he might be, but we're getting way ahead of ourselves right now. Uh, but to bring it full circle to your question, that yeah, like it does complicate matters for the Vancouver Canucks because that's three and a quarter that, uh, you know, if it's on the books, then that's just chipping away at, uh, you know, your overall payroll. Yeah, you're right about his AAV and you're also right about his total salary. It's four point. Uh, two five for total salary. There's no trade protection in this final year of his contract, so there is that. But you're right. I mean, how many teams are going to be lining up to? And None. you know, maybe None. maybe you could say we'll retain a bit. But again, like for everything you just said, guy hasn't even played. Like so, like if you're a contending team and you're looking to upgrade and get a guy that like you need a guy that has two functioning hands that can hold the hockey stick and help you. Uh, and and look, the knock on Tanner Pearson before the injury was the speed of the game, right? Like that's. Low maintenance, liked by his teammates, coaches. I think appreciate uh, the guy who shows up and you know doesn't say an awful lot, but works hard, big body down low, all those kinds of things. But ultimately, you've got to be able to keep up. And you know, after all this time off, too, uh, I'd be really curious to see. Like, I hope he gets the clearance, but I'd be really curious to see sort of where his game is and where would he slot in for the Vancouver Canucks. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. Yeah, a reminder about those Ask JPAC questions. Keep them coming in. We'll sprinkle them in throughout on these podcasts. And all our Ask JPAC questions are presented by our buddy Jason Hominick at Jason.mortgage. Yeah, he's the guy that you need to know. I saw 
uh, an ad on TV last night, a bank trying to entice customers with a big cash back offer, you know, if you come and get your your mortgage with them. And that's fine. I mean, we all love cash, but is it the right offer for you? You know, so don't get blinded by this idea that the bank's going to give you money because guess what? As they're giving you money with one hand, they're taking a bunch of money out of your back pocket with the other. So Jason Hominick would know if that's a good deal, if that's the right offer for you. And he's there to help. And we say this on every Rinkwide. He wants to help you, Rinkwide listeners, save money. So reach out. Uh, starts with a phone call. His contact info is on his website, jason.mortgage. His name is Jason Hominick. And don't get fooled by the television ads. They're trying to suck you in. But Jason Hominick, may, he may be that wait-a-sec guy that uh, we think every NHL front office should have. So again, Jason Hominick at Jason.Morgan. Now, Jason can do a lot of things. I don't think he could play 3C for the Vancouver Canucks, but, you know, maybe see him out at training camp. He might be able to. He might differ, yeah. He might might turn a few heads. But the reason why I bring up the 3C is because the Ask JPAT question today is centered around that, and it comes from Twitter, at DocZeus on Twitter, says, what do you guys think about Bukestead as a 3C target should be cheap enough, bring some size. He certainly does. And as they say, you can't teach size, but uh, Nick Bukestad is and always has been throughout his career. A big dude, 6'6", 209. That's what he's listed as. He's going to turn 31 here in a couple of uh, weeks. So, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30, but he's not in his mid-30s. Uh, I thought it was a pretty shrewd acquisition by the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, had some moments in the playoffs as well. You know, not huge numbers. He played 12 games for them, scored three goals. But when you look at the way his season started in Arizona, he had 13 goals in 59 games for the Coyotes. And this is a guy that, you know, he's right shot. Checking boxes here. uh, He's on the checklist for the Vancouver Canucks. Plays the middle. Can give you some penalty killing. Yeah, I, I honestly, like in terms of affordable options that would interest me that sort of meet a lot of the needs of the Vancouver Canucks, I, I think Nick Bustad is a guy that probably should be on their list. Again, uh, I'm not saying that he is the guy that they're going to wind up with, but just in terms of what he can do at his price point, I, I would think that, you know, and, and even though he's an unrestricted free agent, you know, I don't think you're committing a ton of term there. Like you might be able to two years sort of thing. And that would allow some of the guys that you've got down in Abbotsford to continue to develop. And let's see, you know, who do they draft? Do they use their first pick here on a center as well? Uh, and that might time out nicely that, you know, in a couple of years, Elias Pedersen's going to have his big extension. You're going to need somebody serviceable on an entry-level deal. And if they do pick a center in with that 11th pick, you know, two years for Nick Bugstad, and maybe uh, by that point, you're ready to introduce some of your own guys uh, from the pipeline. So, yeah, no, uh, there's a, to me, that's one that would make a fair bit of sense. Yeah, Doc Zeus is on to something there. That was a good uh, question. And as you look through uh, this player's career, like he hit a home run off his um, outlier season, really, and got himself a six-year contract, uh, almost $25 million in total cash there that was coming off a 43.24 goal campaign for the Florida Panthers. He never really got there after that. And now he's basically, you know, just above the league minimum in terms of his cost. I think that is a guy that the Canucks should definitely be looking at. So a great question there. Thank you. Yeah. Like if you total up, you know, sometimes you look on like hockey DB, uh, you know, and you, Oh, Arizona, well, he had 13 goals, but yeah, 59 games. And then he got traded. And like, if you, lump both teams together and add up his season, he scored 17 goals and had 29 points. And to me, 
you know, if you can get 30 points and some penalty killing out of uh, your 3C, I, I think you're on to something. I mean, that's twice as many points as Nils Amon had. And again, I'm not writing Nils Amon off, but I just think he's better slotted as a fourth-line guy. And if you could bring in a big body that could play ahead of him with some experience, that I, you know, the likes of Nick Bugstad, I think, uh, would fit the bill. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Drink by Vancouver is presented by Bowdog. Make a play at Kansas Choice for free casino games, sports, odds, and poker strategies. I thought I hit my Bowdog bets better. I was going to hit my Bowdog uh, best bet uh, last night. I had game seven of the Calder Cup final. I took Coachella Valley. On the puck line at minus a goal and a half. And they're up two buzz in the second period, J-Pat. And then the Bears took over. The Bears. The Bears. And the Hershey Bears win it in overtime. 3-2. I guess that would be an upset. Because Cowich and Valley. Oh, I did it again. Coachella (laughs) Valley. You're so glad that series is over. (laughs) I never want to say this team's name again. Coachella Valley was the favorite in this one, but uh, yeah, Hershey ends up taking it. And that uh, infamous, or or, I mean, when I think of the HL, I think of the Hershey Bears. They're just one of those teams, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, big win for them and a loss for me with my Bodog best bet. Yeah, you know, it's rink-wide, and it's a Canucks podcast, and we try hard to tie everything back to the Vancouver Canucks. So the best connection that I have between the Canucks and the Hershey Bears is that Brian Helmer, who spent parts of three seasons with the Vancouver Canucks uh, in the early uh, what do we even call like when you know oh one oh two oh three the yeah what are those the yeah. aughts I guess yeah. um, the two thousands Brian Helmer was just the ultimate depth guy. Good dude, like just great personality, fun to deal with. Always enjoyed my interactions with Brian Helmer. He's the director of hockey ops for the Hershey Bears. So uh, I think he tried his hand at coaching a little bit, assistant coaching, and got into management. Uh, He's running the show, and he is a Calder Cup champion. So congratulations to one-time Vancouver Canuck Brian Helmer. Now, as the story goes, and again, my memory is fading as I age here and getting a little foggy, but... I think the story with Helmer was because he was one of those guys that shuttled between the minors and the big league team and never really felt secure that, you know, the old thing about, like, don't buy green bananas. uh, You know, he didn't know if he was going to be in the big leagues or sent back to the minors. So uh, the story goes that he had one suit. That's it. Like an NHL guy, like some of these guys are clothes horses and think of themselves as like style icons and the fit and the drip and everything else. Brian Helmer existed with one suit because uh, he never knew if he was just going to get the call, you know, carry on luggage and away you go. So, uh, yeah, in a, and, you know, they, they were making money back then. Maybe not the big dough of uh, uh, today, but uh, whatever the case, he wasn't spending his money. Uh, on fashion. He traveled lightly. He had one suit that got him through uh, the hockey season between the American Hockey League and the yeah, NHL. I, I don't agree with the suits. 
I, I don't. I, I, I know. <laughs> I, I had to wear it in, when I was playing hockey. I was a kid having to wear a suit to a game. Get out of here. I want to be comfortable. I'm looking at this for a Bodog best or a, a line right now because we batted around that uh, Mitchkoff could go second overall. He's at plus 1,400, J-Pat. So if you think perhaps there is a chance, and like, look at the Ducks. They're pretty good down the middle with young guys as well. Maybe they go to Mitchkoff. Place your bet, hmm. plus 1,400. And there might be... Uh, you got the wheels in my mind are churning now. I can feel that. Like, huh. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay. And uh, I guess with Fantilli would be the odds-on favorite right now at second overall at minus uh, 700. But if he slips... At plus 700 at the third overall pick. There you go. You could maybe uh, do a little parlay there. Mitch Goff at two and Fantilli at three. Make yourself some money. All right. Go buy a suit. (laughs) You could buy a suit. There you go. (laughs) Bring it full circle. All right. This has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver Podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember Rinkwide. It's the show. It all. It's good.